I'm so glad that uh, Victor mentioned it this morning, and uh, I'm reminded of take this one. I'm reminded of uh, the fact that everybody wants Sunday morning, Easter, the empty tomb, the resurrection, and uh, the only way to get there is through Friday night and the cross and Thursday uh, and the arrest and then going back before that very much, uh, you can't get to the empty tomb without the baby in the manger. And uh, so that he said it, but that's what we're going to talk about next week uh, very much is that Christmas isn't just about uh, the birth of Jesus. It's about the death sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And so uh, we're going to look at that. I guess that's a commercial for next week, so see you all then. Uh, but we're actually finishing up uh, this series on our attitudes, that our attitudes would be like Jesus. And, and really looking at that, that final attitude of, of what Jesus was willing to do for us in going to the cross, right? The, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. What does it mean to pay the cost for someone else or to make a sacrifice for someone else? It actually started uh, literally at the very beginning. So a little bit of, of history. It started in the garden uh, after Adam and Eve sinned. God made a garment of skin to cover them in order that uh, to do that, the animal had to be sacrificed. The first sacrifice or shedding of blood to cover sin. That, that really established that. And then, and then in the Old Testament, we have the uh, sacrificial system of atoning for sin. And in the Old Testament, there were, there were five offerings of sacrifice. There was the, the burnt offering the purpose was uh, for general atonement of sin, right? That this would be uh, just understanding that, that we're, we're sinners and need to atone for it. There was a grain offering and the purpose was a, a voluntary expression of devotion to God. That was, that was an act of worship. And there was the peace offering and that was an offering that was made kind of on behalf of um, between two or more parties that they would share fellowship together. There was the, the sin offering, and it was sometimes viewed as a guilt offering. They tended to be um, similar. This was the removing of the consequence or for lack of perfection, kind of the, the idea that... Uh, it's for the, the sins which one needed to atone for. They weren't necessarily always, always moral, uh, but rather matters of ritual impurity. And then there was the, the guilt offering. And that this is for the atoning for the 
uh, what someone might owe because of their sin, right? That, that because of their sin, they're then in debt to someone else. So they would have that. And, and I kind of bring that up because this was a system put in place for a reason, right? That, that uh, for the, the, the Jewish people before the birth of Christ, there was a system in place, yet uh, it just didn't work, right? The inadequacies of the Old Testament sacrificial system really highlight our need for Jesus, right? That there was a system in place, but it had to go, happen over and over again. It wasn't just a, a one-time thing, now you're good. They had to keep doing it. We see the substitutionary atonement in the Old Testament sacrifices uh, were kind of fundamentally to be based on forgiveness of sins. People would lay their hands on the animal to signify that the animal functioned as a substitute for the person. Their sin was transferred to the person, right? That was the the, the idea, the violent death of the animal signified the penalty human beings deserve for their sin. Thus, the death of the animal functioned as a substitute for the worshiper. And yet, animal sacrifices do not and cannot finally atone for sin. Right? In Hebrews 9 and 10, it talks about that. Such sacrifices point to the atoning death of Jesus which secures and completes a permanent forgiveness for sin. Right? That it wasn't enough, these sacrifices through the system. It wasn't good enough. And then through the, the prophet Hosea, God says, 6-6, uh, six, six, For I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice. Right? It's not this, just this act of sacrifice. He says, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. It's, it's just kind of a ritual. If you're not doing it the right way, you can't just go through the motions. The idea that I could sin and then kill a bird for a small sin, a goat or a sheep for a bigger sin, and then if I really messed up a bull, right? That, that's all it would take. And yet, I think there's a lot of people who go to church regularly who kind of live in this manner. You know what? I really messed up this week, so I better make sure I go to church. Or, you know what? I haven't been living quite right, so I better spend some time in prayer instead of it being a, a lifestyle, a relationship, an ongoing uh, part of who you are. And some people live as if, well, it doesn't matter what I do because God is merciful and Jesus died to pay for my sins. So I'm forgiven, right? And the apostle Paul, he actually wrote to the church in Rome and he addressed that specifically. And he asked the question, are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? Right? If I sin, the more I sin, the more grace kind of has to pile on to cover it. So, so there's more grace if I'm a really big sinner. And he asked that question. It seems almost obvious, but it was not a trivial question. And I think today it's still not a trivial question, right? We can't just sit back and go, well, if I sin more then God forgives me more. And so therefore he's greater. Paul answered the question, right? He said, 
I like the, the strong language. He says, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in sin? Right? What we do matters. Our attitude and our intentions matter to God. So, so kind of all of this provides the background for the New Testament's frequent description of Jesus, his death in sacrificial terms, right? That, that you had this Old Testament system in that for the, the Jewish people, they understood, right? When you hear someone describe Jesus as the Lamb of God, that seems to us very sweet. The Lamb? That's great. Innocent? Yet, when you understand in sacrificial terms, the lamb was the sacrificial lamb. And it was very clear to the first century Jewish people what that meant. When Jesus himself and the New Testament writers employ the language such as, give my life as a ransom, or a ransom in my blood, or by his blood, or the blood of his of his cross or my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. By the way, I've got like three times as many of those listed that are in the New Testament describing how what Jesus did on the cross in those same sacrificial terms. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having been made a curse for us. That's what scripture says. The terminology of propitiation, ransom, redemption, forgiveness, and reconciliation all find their meaning against the backdrop of the Old Testament sacrifice. So there it is. Jesus set the example of sacrifice on the cross. This is the substitutionary sacrifice of the atonement. All right, so if you're taking notes, write it down. The atonement. Highlight that one. Because it is capitalized. This is the atonement, not an atonement. See, before this point, there was a process by which for each sin, you went through a procedure, a ritual to say, look, this was the sin that I committed and here's what I did to try and cover that. And so there were continual acts of atonement to atone for sin. And yet, this is the atonement. There was one act of Jesus on the cross. And so here's what it looks like. Sin deserves punishment because God is holy. Breaking the law is not merely an impersonal reality, for sin represents rebellion against God. Human beings need a substitute since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God's anger against sin represents his personal response to sin because he's holy. And the animal sacrifice do not and cannot finally atone for sin. And such sacrifices point to the atoning death of Jesus Christ, which secures and completes the permanent forgiveness of sin. Okay, this is the good news, that there's not this process by which we have to keep 
making sacrifice, keep atoning. Jesus atoned once for all. All right, so what does this have to do with the thinking and having the same attitude or mindset as Jesus? Well, I want to read again that passage that we've read each week in Philippians 2, starting in verse 5, and we'll see how it applies. Paul writes, Make your attitude that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men, And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee would bow of those who are on heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. He emptied himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus was humble. He was a servant. He was obedient to the Father. Jesus, who knew no sin, took on our sin, the perfect sacrifice. Since Jesus' sacrifice for us, right, In gratitude, we serve him, even when it costs. Now, that's the definition of a sacrifice. It costs. But I wanted to enumerate it, right? Let's just be clear that we sacrifice for Jesus, even when it costs, because if it doesn't cost, is it really a sacrifice? Being a Christian, a believer is not so much about following a bunch of rules. Now, here's the thing. From the outside, right? If you're not a Christian and you look at the church, you look at Christians, it seems to be that way, right? There's some rules. Well, you have to go to church on Sunday. That seems like a rule, right? And and maybe they're not drinking or, or, or drugs or telling jokes that they shouldn't. They don't swear the same way, right? There seems to be some things that if you're a Christian, you don't do those. And, and obviously someone had to tell you, stop it, right? Don't do these things. From the outside, it might seem that way. In fact, if you're a new believer or a younger person in the faith, maybe even grew up in the church, There seems to be a list of rules. It seems like people don't do certain things at my church, right? And and that's the way it seems to be. Yet, I think being a Christian at the beginning is a lot like learning to drive. I didn't think about it this way. When I was a a new believer, because when I first heard the gospel and went to church, uh, I had been driving for several years. But as a dad with my kids and watching them learn to drive, I went, wow, this is just like becoming a Christian. You see, when you're learning to drive, you have to study the rules. They give you a book. You got to study that. You got to know the rules. In fact, the first way that you learn to drive is to get a permit where you had to 
pass a test that was written, right? You had to learn the rules. There were rules. And there's, by the way, there still are. But when you uh, then have to get out on the road and do things, right? You have to, to practice. You memorize the rules. You memorize the meaning of the signs. You practice making the car do what you want it to do. And when you've driven a while, you realize that you don't have to think about it as much. Right? You're not thinking about it all the time. You want the car to stop? I'll check the mirrors. Right? Put your foot on the brake. Depress it firmly, but uh, gently. Until the car comes to a full stop. And then once you've really got it mastered, you know, right at the end, right as the car gets to stop, you kind of let up on the brake a little so you don't get that jerk. That's something you have to learn. It takes time how to do those things. You know what? When I want my car to stop now, I don't think about any of those things. It's almost like the car just stops even though I'm actually making it stop. I'm doing all of those things by muscle memory. And the car just functions the way it's supposed to. When I first start following Jesus, I learn what it means to follow Jesus. Right? I I learn it through the Bible. I learn it through the community of the church. How to encourage and be encouraged. And there's definitely things that are clear in Scripture that I ought not do and things that, that, that are okay to do. There are some rules, right? I learned those right away. The, some of the first things that I learned as a new believer, I was told, honor your father and mother. Oh, I got to learn that. I have to practice that. I have to put that into practice every day. I, I, I read in the Bible uh, the words of Jesus. He says, you've heard it said, do not murder. But I say to you, If you're angry at your brother, you're guilty of murder. I went, okay. I was good on the do not murder part, but now I can't be angry? I I have to learn that rule and then put it into my life. As I mature in the faith, I don't have to think about all of those rules. right? I don't have to go back and go, wait, what are the rules again? Have I been dishonoring to my parents? Have I been angry at my brothers? You see... I don't think about those things. That's what it means to mature. Just like driving, I don't have to think every little rule. But what happens is once you kind of get it, you're not thinking about it all the time. You drive around the corner, you see the black and white police car sitting there, and you have to stop and think, wait, wait a minute. I have to check my speed. I have to see if I'm in the center of the lane. Did I come to a full and complete stop? I know I live in California, but I can't do that California rolling stop. You see... I'm going to continually have to check these things. I know what I ought to do and ought not to do. And even though there are some rules, and then there's, more importantly, it's who I am in Christ that daily I have to keep checking these things. And so we do these things not because there's rules to everything, right? It's not by following the rules that I can be saved, but that because of what Jesus has done for us, we're grateful. And there are things that we want to do. Right? That, that I ought to respond with gratitude. 
I don't say to God, what have you done for me lately? It's, I know what you've done and what can I do for you? All right, so I have a list there if you're looking at the notes. Uh, There are two categories, things that we sacrifice and then things that we get. So these are kind of broken up differently. What kind of things do we sacrifice? Well, first of all, time and reputation. And those may not seem to go together, but they, I think they do. Time, certainly. Now, I spend more of my time doing things with the church than I would if I wasn't a Christian. I spend more of my time reading the Bible, praying, thinking about the implications of what I do for the kingdom of God than I would do otherwise. My reputation. Well, I don't know about you guys. Maybe if you grew up in the church, you don't have this experience. But for me, I didn't grow up in the church and I got to a point where I had to make a decision to follow Christ. And for me, it was this decision, my reputation now will forever be tied with Jesus. That wasn't an easy thing to decide, right? Now, it was something I did gladly and excitedly. But from that point on, my reputation changed. And people didn't think of me the same way the rest of my life. In Hebrews 13, 15 and 16, through him, then let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. You see, that's how we are to live. It's, it's verbal and it's action. Doing good. So, what about when we're doing good and it takes time, or when we're doing good, you know you're supposed to, and it's not popular? Maybe it's not popular in your social group, it's not popular online, or your job, or your family, right? What you know you ought to do. When it's not popular, that's when your reputation might be on the line. Now, look, everybody's going to worship something. And if you're not focused on God, what becomes most important to you then is what you're worshiping. People folk, uh, worship their jobs. Uh, most people, they just worship themselves. They become very self centered, self-focused. It's what they want. It's what pleases them. It's yet (laughs) there will be a day of judgment and you can't save yourself. Second thing that we would sacrifice is the desire to sin. Now, I don't mean that you'll like, oh, well, I'll no longer sin again. It should be that in Christ, you know what you ought not do and you decide. You sacrifice that and say, I don't want to sin anymore. I want to honor God. In 1 Peter 4, uh, 1 and 2, he says, Since therefore Christ suffered 
in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. There's that attitude mindset of Christ. Christ. Uh, For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Right? That's that setting aside of here's what I want. It's all about me. And setting it aside and saying, you know what? I don't need to sin anymore. And it doesn't mean that we won't. It just means we don't desire to do it. We need to be prepared for the possibility of suffering. Right? So I set those things aside in order to live for God. But then there's going to be times when my sacrifice, my suffering still happen. So why does God let that happen? I was uh, researching that this, this week and I was reading an article and it was four reasons God ordains suffering for his people. And this was a gospel coalition article by Brian Crosby. He says, number one, to kill sin and grow godliness, right? So it might be hard to make a sacrifice. You might suffer and it might be difficult, but he does that to grow us in godliness. Number two, to relinquish the temporal for the eternal, right? If, if this is not our home and our home is in heaven, that's where we should be focused and not here. Three, to produce a hypocrisy-free faith, right? That you've been kind of lackadaisical in your faith, yet when suffering comes, you got to focus and say, here's what I really believe. And then number four, to bear witness to the world. That difficulty might come, but, but you, if you, as you endure, then you are a witness to people around you. And then John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. Bear fruit unto salvation, right? So the, the fruit you bear would be as you grow in faith and you have the effect on others so that they are drawn to the Lord. You are God's example of a Christian to others. And so your desire to sin or participate in other things, it needs to change. And then the the third thing that we would sacrifice is the world. And it sounds, well, that's big. That's all inclusive, right? It's actually the biblical term, the world. Right, the world um, in the Bible, it's, there's actually five categories. Uh, the one that, that for the most part, it's, it's this idea, it's the moral world. It's the world that's set against Jesus, set against the kingdom of God. And so we might say something like it's worldly. And so the way the world does things uh, that might be something we sacrifice. I'm not going to do it in a worldly way. I'm not going to live for the same purpose that I did before Christ. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, right? That's that same definition. 
Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so it's not, I just go, go along to get along. It's, it's that, uh, I might have mentioned this to you guys before, it's my understanding of like every junior high friend group. And how pretty soon they all look the same and dress the same and talk the same and use the same language, right? And yet, what we're supposed to do is not just go along, not just fit in. We're not supposed to be like a bunch of junior hires just doing what the crowd is doing. Just because the crowd is doing it. That's something we sacrifice. It's not about that. So you can see we, don't, we sacrifice conformity. We're not just fitting in. In 1 John two fifteen through 17, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, right? Those three things, he says, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. All right? So it's not about the desires of the flesh, the, des- the desires of the eyes, or the pride of life. Those things are passing away. Those things are temporal and not eternal. And so that might be something we have to sacrifice. And then uh, the last one, number four there, that we would sacrifice bad relationships. Now, it doesn't mean that we go, this is a bad relationship, right? It's toxic. It's not healthy. Uh, maybe I have a strained relationship with, with my parents or something. I'm not saying, well, pff, that's it. I'm done with you, right? I don't mean that. What I mean is you need to acknowledge that there are some relationships that are not healthy. There are people that you spend time with that you ought not spend time with. Right? When you're hanging out with people and you know they bring the worst out of you. You're like, you know what? When I'm around them, we, we start telling jokes. We start telling stories. And I say things that later I go, I shouldn't have said that. I feel really bad about that. We might have to consider that. There are, there are definitely some issues. So are there times when, when it's difficult to end a relationship? But it might be necessary. So I'm not saying tell your parents you're done with them. I'm saying if you're in an unhealthy relationship, be aware. And so do you need a break, a fast from a toxic relationship? Uh, Author Ellen Mary uh, Dickus writes, when sin invades our relational motivations and expectations, the dynamics easily become toxic or unholy. And you might need space to reorient to Jesus, right? So this idea that in a bad relationship, you need to take a step back and go, how should I live as a follower of Christ? Is this healthy or not? And she says, uh, Jesus is the refuge you truly need. His love is never toxic, threatened, or based on your performance. So fasting from relationships with others can free you to truly taste and see how the Lord is good. 
So there might be a point at which you need to take a step back and evaluate if your relationships are healthy and what to do about that. Well, what do we get? So here's some things in, uh, that we get from our sacrifice, right? If we're going to sacrifice those things, what do we get out of it? And these are just a couple. First of all, the Holy Spirit, right? That if you're in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. John 14, 26 Jesus says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. That's an incredible thing that that when you're in Christ, the Holy Spirit enables you to remember things you've been taught, right? That's why we study the Bible. I can't tell you how often I've been asked questions that I've never thought about. Someone goes, hey, pastor, can I ask you a question? Um, Sure. And then they ask me something, I'm like, wow, that's tough. I have no idea. But thankfully, I've read so much of the scripture and the Holy Spirit enables me to remember these things. And I often answer questions and I go, wow, where did that come from? I'm so grateful because I didn't know. But God does. God reminds you of the things he's taught you. Uh, Another thing that we get are blessings from God. Right, Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Needs are supplied. Now, it doesn't say all the wants, right? Just like when Jesus taught his uh, disciples to pray, he said we're to pray for daily bread, right? Not daily chocolate and gold, right? Daily bread, your necessities, and then James 1.17, every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Every good gift is from God. He promises that. And then Proverbs 16.7, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies at peace with him. By the way, they're still enemies, but there's some peace there. That's good news. Uh, The third one there that we get is support from the church. Uh, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. Let us consider how to stir one another up toward love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Right? You get the support of encouragement. And then Ecclesiastes 4.12, and though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. I always love coming here and seeing people talking about uh, the time they've spent together. The reason, life can be hard. You want it to be better, support each other, encourage each other. You're stronger. And then the last one there, what do we get? The hope of heaven, right? Eternity. First uh, Timothy 4.10, for this is the, this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Eternity. The hope of heaven is not just for the hereafter, it's also for the here and now. We live differently because of the hope we have. Right? It changes how we are. When we live what we say we believe, this life 
may end with my death. Right? There's only one way it won't if the Lord returns. Yet in eternity, in Christ, I have hope. How I live because of that matters. I have some next steps for you today. First of all, reflect on the atoning sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Right? What does that mean for me? That Jesus died to pay for my sins. He atoned for me. Right? And that's that same Jesus who we celebrate this time of year with his birth. And the second one, look for opportunities to sacrifice for him. Now, it's not compulsory, right? You don't have to do this in order to be saved. You do it out of gratitude. What is it that you can do? He never says, you must do this. But, but look, because of what he's done, how could I not want to give in return? And then the last one, I just put a blank there, right? That uh, maybe there's something else as we've been talking today. You're like, oh, I need to remember that. Then put that down. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you most of all for Jesus. I thank you that you sent your son to die on the cross for us, that he made that sacrifice as the perfect sacrifice. And we're grateful for it. And Father, even because of that, because of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, we are grateful. And so in turn, what can we give up? Not because we have to and we'll somehow be holier because of it. No, Jesus died on the cross once for all. Father, there are definitely some choices to make. That you're always worth it. 